Hey church, uh, it is Holy Thursday, or at least that's when this is coming out. You might be watching it or listening to it later. Uh, but we're wrapping up Lent, which has been a season of reflection for our community. Uh, we've been working through a teaching series called We Are Not Always Heroes. And we've been looking at some of the less than impressive characters in scripture and asking what we might see of ourselves in them. And we haven't done this to shame ourselves or hang our heads, but just to create a space to tell the whole complicated truth about ourselves and to maybe hear within that a loving voice that's calling us back to who we actually are and what we're actually here for. And uh, alongside that teaching series, um, we've, we've challenged the community, you, us, to, uh, to read this book by Jamar Tisby, The Color of Compromise, where Tisby looks at the American church's complicity in racism. And this seems like a really important thing for us to listen to and learn from if we're going to use Lent to tell the whole complicated truth about ourselves and our church. And so uh, we thought before we got to the end of Lent and moved on, we should just kind of kick this around. And so uh, Dr. Angela Logan has very graciously agreed to jump into a conversation with me so that we could just sort of debrief the book together. Absolutely. Uh, Angela, you are kind and generous and trusting. Yes, yes, and yes. Hold on to that until the end okay. because the answers that I give may change your perspective on all of that. Okay, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Um, and I actually kind of want to call out, you know, um, you have been really generous and made it really clear to me that you're up for these conversations. Mm -hmm. And I think that's even an important note, maybe, for like white people like me who are trying to like learn and grow and we don't want to do it in a vacuum. Um, I feel like it might be worth saying that some of the work that you're doing on our behalf today isn't work that I want to take for granted or just assume that it's yours to do. Uh, but I'm really grateful that you're, you're willing to do it with us. Thank you for acknowledging that. It is difficult but necessary work, mm -hmm. and it's important. Mm -hmm. And I believe that this is why I'm here mm -hmm. for such a time as this. That doesn't mean it's easy mm -hmm. or that it's fun or that I sometimes have the mental bandwidth or energy to do it, but you just show up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for showing up. Absolutely. And thank you guys for showing up if you're watching Thanks. or listening. Uh, I hope you've read the book, uh, but even if not, I think the conversation will be useful mm -hmm. for you. And um, in the book, Tisby, he kind of goes way back to the origins of uh, racism and slavery in America, to the kind of roots of sort of white Western people mm -hmm. on this continent and traces not just racism, but all these ways that uh, Christians, churches, power structures in the church, pastors, leaders, denominations have been a part of this terrible story of racism. Before we get into the details of it, would you just share a little bit about your overall experience going through this history? So it was interesting when uh, we talked about that we were going to do this as a community, I wanted to dive in mm -hmm. because there was that lovely little space in my world where I had free time, air quotes, free time as a professor. What does that look like? Mm -hmm. And so I was going to start reading early to get ahead. Mm -hmm. And then as I started, I realized that it was an easy read but it was a difficult read. And so I didn't realize how emotionally taxing mm -hmm. reading the book would be because it would take me to places and spaces and experiences that I had pushed to the side mm -hmm. or just gotten through so that I could do the next thing. And when I took the time to actually pause and reflect and unpack it, 
there were lots of moments that I went between anger and frustration and grief and then repeat. It was this really painful cycle of doing that over and over again. So I would actually start reading the book and then I had to stop to process and then go back and then process. And then there was a part where I was like, I don't want to do this. This is hard. I don't like doing this, but I did it anyway. Can you take me to the moment where you stop? Uh, maybe you put the book down for a moment. Um, and I can just imagine some of the layers of like pain that this mm -hmm. raises. Um, what, what do you do when you put the book down? Where, where does your mind go? Where, where does your heart go when you put the book down to take a, a moment? I think about uh, the experiences that I've had in the church, in my professional career, the travels that I've done, the spaces and places that I've been in. I've given my myself the space to honor mm -hmm. and grieve those moments. I think about my family narrative on mm -hmm. both sides. I think about how far we've come, how much we've had to endure as individuals, as a family, as people. And then I oddly, it was kind of weird, I would say a prayer of thanksgiving, hmm. of gratitude for the ancestral bloodline that hmm. I have to keep fighting, mm -hmm. to keep pushing, to keep persevering. I remember years ago I'd seen, that before she retired, before she actually retired, Oprah was asked, when was she going to quit? Mm -hmm. And she said, I'm descended from a people who didn't know which way was north and they didn't quit. What right do I have to quit this? Wow. And that has always stuck with me mm -hmm. that no matter what it looks like, I come from a rich heritage of you don't quit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You may pause, take a break, mm -hmm. catch your breath, but you don't stop. Mm -hmm. You got to keep going. Mm -hmm. because it's not just you. There are generations that are behind you, pushing you, and you have to pave the way mm -hmm. for generations ahead of you. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's a deep well to draw on. It really is. Yeah. And it's, um, it's inspiring, but it's also exhausting. Yes. And it's a, mm -hmm. it's a double, it's thinking about the conversations that I'm having to deal with and the situations that I'm having to deal with, knowing that my parents dealt with many of these same things, knowing mm -hmm. that my grandparents, my great-grandparents, and what does it mean? And how do we unpack these conversations and have real, honest conversations as a society? Mm -hmm. I've been half-joking in this last year that not talking about race, equity, justice, and inclusion has worked oh so well right, right. for the last 400 years. Right, right. Let's just have the conversation and see what happens. Yeah. I mean, it can't get much worse than where we are, yeah. so let's talk. Mm -hmm. Let's have the conversation, be open, be honest, mm -hmm. move past the fear and the pain and the guilt, and just have the conversation mm -hmm. and let it go where it goes. Um, so you raised in church, mm -hmm. right? And you had kind of an eclectic experience because of Catholic school? 13 years of Catholic school education, but a Church of God yeah. faith tradition. So yeah. I had school week, school day faith mm -hmm. and weekend faith. And sometimes those would crash. Mm -hmm. I joke that 
I've been de- deconstructing my faith since I was five years old. <laughs> right, right. Because I had no choice. Yep. Because what I learned in Byzantine and Roman Catholic Church mm-hmm. sometimes was in parallel, in agreement, mm-hmm, but often mm-hmm. in conflict. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I am the quintessential church girl. You are, yeah. Um, growing up in that experience, um, I assume it was not lost in you from a very early age that racism is real. Mm-hmm. What about racism in the church? Was that something that you you picked out growing up? Or when did that awareness grow that the church is also a place where this sometimes lives and is even like, you know, perpetuated? Um, I think it was probably pretty early on when I think of my faith tradition. Um, so I was raised in the Church of God based out of Anderson, Indiana. Mm-hmm. And we often, I noticed that there were two sides. Mm-hmm. So there was the white um, Church of God mm-hmm. of Anderson, and then there was the black. Even going as far back as the camp meetings that I would attend mm-hmm. growing up, that camp meeting was born out of um, some racial tensions. Huh. And so having the, the camp meeting that I grew up in, I never knew that the Anderson side of the family mm-hmm. had a camp meeting too, because that's what I didn't, I didn't know that because I was never there. Mm-hmm. But going up on Zions Hill in Western Pennsylvania, that was my second home. And that's where a lot of my faith was was nurtured and developed. Mm. And really thinking about looking around, um, what is it? Dr. King once said that 11 o'clock on Sunday mm-hmm. is the most segregated hour in America. Mm-hmm. And I would see that mm-hmm. because my faith community growing up was very monolithic in terms mm-hmm. of race, mm-hmm. racial identity. Mm-hmm. My weekday, my school day faith was very different as well because it was primarily white and very Catholic. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I, um, I relate to the, the family metaphor you have there with, with your Church of God roots. So, so reading this for me, um, at first it was painful in a, in a sense of like, oh man, I, I hate how awful America's history with race is and, and the early stories of, um, of slave trade and the treatment of slaves or enslaved people, I should say. Um, and the... Um, the note that Tisby makes here and there that that America's relationship to uh, enslaved people to racial justice didn't have to be this way, that there mm-hmm. were early like forks in the road that things could have gone. So I, so early on there, I had that feeling like, oh, man, this is really sad. This is really hard. And then when we, we got a little more into the modern era, it got uncomfortable for me in different ways. Um, and I was kind of like processing my relationship with the story that Tisby is telling because like I, I, I probably maybe too much, I kind of like try to assert like independence from mm-hmm. religious traditions. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I'm a part of one, but I, I'm a, my own man. You know what yeah. I mean? Like Do this. Yeah. It's the rugged individualism that That's is right. so key That's to right. the American identity. That's right. Like I'm not fitting into this model. I am different. I'm going to forge my own path. Yeah. And yet, and, yet. and still, yeah. look, I'm just like everybody else. I just, it shows up differently for me. Yeah. And I think especially around like the, the church in America, mm-hmm. you know, um, like I, I spent a lot of energy thinking about how I don't see things maybe the same way that mm-hmm. a lot of the church world I grew up in sees. So it's easy to like over, um, emphasize my, my independence from mm-hmm. this history that he's telling. And frankly, even for South Bend City Church where, you know, we formed, I think we were legally incorporated in 2016. Mm-hmm. 
So Sapin City Church didn't even exist for, I think, maybe up to the last couple of pages of his right. book, right? And he gets into Black Lives Matter. Um, and now we're finally in the era mm-hmm. of Sapin City Church. But the metaphor that clicked in for me was an experience I've had of my nuclear family, as in my parents mm-hmm. and my brother and our extended family. So I grew up, um, we moved around a lot because mm-hmm. my dad's job and we were never in the same town as my grandparents or my aunts and uncles, except for when I was like a baby. And so we grew up in this kind of nuclear family. We'd visit extended mm-hmm. family, but we had our nuclear family. Um, and then just in the last few years, some storytelling has opened up among my nuclear family mm-hmm. about the extended family. And I don't mean that we're like throwing shade or anything. I just, I just mean like I went to Southern California and my mom took me to her childhood home that I'd never seen until I was 37 years old. Wow. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and then the stories that she told about that extended family that I don't feel much connection to, mm-hmm. people that were dead before I was born, mm-hmm. all that stuff, right? The more she told stories about that extended family, the more I recognized patterns in our nuclear family. It's like, oh, I am less, you know, separate from mm-hmm. that history and that extended family than I think. These patterns are here too because they get transmitted through generations mm-hmm. and relationships and ways of speaking and acting. And that really brought it home uncomfortably to me that like, even if SBCC isn't an evangelical church, mm-hmm. and even if we're new and you know independent and not beholden to like Christianity Incorporated, all these things we try to be, mm-hmm. I know that it's a myth to think that we're still not part of this extended family, that we don't carry the genes. That it's the in patterns. our DNA. Yeah. As much as we think it's not, yeah. we want to avoid it. Mm-hmm. We want to say, oh, no, that's not us. Mm-hmm. The more you dig, the more you realize, ooh, we're, I'm more like that than I thought. Mm-hmm. And I do, I do get that kind of thinking about, so I have a very small nuclear family, mm-hmm. but I have a very large extended family. Mm-hmm. As in my parents are each one of 12 yes, large yeah. extended family. And yeah. so to really start to unpack what it means, what are the habits, what are the mm-hmm. beliefs that have, is, that have existed in the family mm-hmm. and how I was raised to either affirm, align, or change direction on them, mm-hmm. whatever it looks like. Yeah, It's interesting to put that in the context of not just the individual family, but also the church, the family of God. Mm-hmm. And what does that look like? Mm-hmm. And how do we, we often talk about in the um, in the black church tradition, the whole notion of the sweet by and by. Mm-hmm. So we'll all it'll all be better in the morning when we all get to glory. Mm-hmm. We got to figure out how to make this work here. Yes. And yeah. how does this play out in the day-to-day-ness mm-hmm. and to have the conversations about what does it mean mm-hmm. to honor to celebrate, to recognize everyone an icon, mm-hmm. and how does that really play out in the day to dayness? Yes, and yes. even how the songs that we sing, mm-hmm. how we worship, how we have service. Mm-hmm. What does that look like? How does that play out? And does that fall into a pattern that we didn't want it to? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because that's what we know. Mm-hmm. I joke with my students sometimes. They call it the comfort. They call it the comfort zone for a reason. Because it's comfortable. <laughs> right, right. So we're comfortable in it. So we'll keep doing it. Yeah. It's not right. It's not okay. But let's acknowledge that and then figure out how we change the pattern. Mm-hmm. I also, to your point about everyone in Icon, um, I noted early on, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, I don't know if I'll pronounce his name right, um, but er, very, very early on, this is back in like 1789, mm-hmm. uh, Tisby's telling the story of uh, an enslaved African who'd come over named Equiano. 
mm-hmm. I think is his name. And Equiano um, is a Christian and he's calling out his slave keeping brothers and sisters mm-hmm. in the faith. And he says, oh, ye nominal Christians, might not an African ask you, like, learned you this from your God who says unto you, do unto all men as you would men should do unto you. And I, I just, what I took from that was another reason to have this conversation is that if what we're here for, like what we're in this for, is to follow Jesus all the way into the nature of his kingdom, mm-hmm. to really live it out. Like um, the gift we're being given is like voices like Equianos who are actually calling us back to what's, what we've already said we are trying to do and believe and trust, mm-hmm. right? Like for us, everyone an icon. We've, we've said that the mantra's on the wall. But uh, stories like this one um, help us uh, remove some blind spots mm-hmm. and actually like live into that further. It's like what a gift we're being given, I think, um, by this kind of painful history that we're being told. To, to recognize that it's there, mm-hmm. but don't wallow in it. Don't get stuck in the guilt and the shame. Mm-hmm. The past happened. Mm-hmm. And it's about unpacking the totality of history. Mm-hmm. So nothing happens in a vacuum. The things that happen today are not isolated. Mm-hmm. They have a long history. Let's unpack that. Let's tease it out and figure out where did it come from? How did we get here? Mm-hmm. And if we say we mean this, what does that really mean? Mm-hmm. When we say everyone an icon, what does that actually mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when the rubber re- when the rubber meets the road, mm-hmm. what does it look like? How does that play out in our day-to-day lives? Yes. So speaking of the history, uh, I wonder if we could get into it a little bit. Yes. Here. By the way, this is not a book report for those of you who haven't read the book. So like, you should read the book. <laughs> you should still read the book. Yeah. There will be a quiz later. I just want us to reflect <laughs> on it a bit. And I wondered, um, you know, we won't get through systematically mm-hmm. every page, but let's start here. Um, is there sort of, a, if you think about the story that Tisby tells, is there a particular moment in the history that he speaks of that stands out to you as like, man, even if people like realize this one thing happened, this one moment where the church was on the side of racism rather than on the mm-hmm. side of the kingdom that rejects it, is there a moment that you want to start with that we could just open up a little bit? I think one of the ones um, when I mentioned earlier that I started reading and then I had to pause. Mm -hmm. The first time I really had to pause was in chapter two, where he talks about the early uh, approaches to enslavement of Africans. Mm -hmm. And the reason why that jumped out to me is because in 2016, Mm -hmm. so right about the time that we started as a church, I actually had the opportunity to go to Ghana and teach. Yes. And I went to um, what are called um, the slave ca- what is called the slave castle of Elmina. Mm. And it was a space in Ghana, West Africa, where captured Africans were, were brought in, basically bro- broken, mm-hmm. dehumanized, and then prepared to get on slave ships for the Western world. Mm-hmm. And what really struck me about that experience was, so toured it, it cracked me multiple times. Mm -hmm. I'm generally a person, if anybody knows me, that I'm always, almost always smiling. Mm -hmm. I didn't smile for two hours Mm -hmm. because my spirit was heavy. And I think the part that was so painful for me was that when that slave castle was first built, in the middle of it, they built a church. So while they are dehumanizing and breaking and destroying Africans, they're having church Mm -hmm. every day. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And then when the um, country, um, when Ghana changed hands, it went from the Dutch, the Portuguese to the Dutch. And so when they took that slave castle over, they converted the church. So the second floor what became an officer's mess. Mm-hmm. And the first floor, which is where the altar was, they turned the altar into an auction block. Oh, so they were literally selling bodies selling on the lives altar. on the altar. And that that image, that experience just wrecked me. Mm-hmm. And so when I when Tisby talked about that, it took me back to being in that room, mm-hmm. in that space, and actually seeing mm-hmm. the level of depravity mm-hmm. and just thinking, y'all turned the altar mm-hmm. into an auction block. Mm-hmm. Which is incredibly poignant when you think about us having this conversation in Holy Week mm-hmm. and what that yes. means and how yeah. that looks and yeah. the sacrifice of life yeah. related to that. In the spirit of our Lent series, mm-hmm. right? Um, that image really breaks my heart. Um, the spirit of the Lent series has been like these characters that they're worst in scripture mm-hmm. you look like oh they're so evil you know judas mm-hmm. or cain like, killed his brother come on and the heart has I'm, the right. heart has been like what is true of them that's true of me right mm-hmm. and you telling that story you know i think it's easy to think the horror <gasps> you know can you imagine these these misguided horrible white christians doing this thing mm-hmm. but then like if we apply the same idea the question has to be like, how can our churches be places where we're as misguided, where black body, bodies or lives or stories are being um, sold or exploited? On the altar. On the altar, mm-hmm. yeah. What does that look like? Yeah. What does it mean when we say everyone an icon? Mm-hmm. And then we equate that, if you fast forward all the way to the yeah. end of the book, talking about Black Lives Matter. Yeah. There's a bright line. Yeah. There's a there's a role. There's a place. There's a conversation point where we need to have mm-hmm. and talk about and unpack what this means to celebrate, to mm-hmm. honor, to recognize the inherent dignity and worth mm-hmm. of everyone. Yes. Yeah. And telling the story, allowing black folks to tell their stories mm-hmm. not in a way that feels exploitive mm-hmm. like i'm telling my story this is exploiting black pain mm-hmm. but in a way to honor that tradition honor that heritage and then what can we learn i see you mm-hmm. i see your pain i want to apologize for that mm-hmm. i want to honor where you are and walk with you mm-hmm. in this space a mm-hmm. uh, little pivot here mm-hmm. what's the difference between exploiting black stories and honoring black stories in the church? I think for me, it's you hear the story and you move on from it. Like, okay. I heard it one time. Mm-hmm. So um, to only bring black voices to the stage or the conversation mm-hmm. in February. So um, the running joke among uh, black scholars, black activists, black folks, is that we are never more busy between the King holiday and February 28th. I mean, uh, we are working, we are grooving, uh-huh. we are moving because everybody wants to hear my story. Uh-huh. And then once March 1st rolls, I don't have a voice until mm-hmm. January 14th. Ooh, got to get ready because mm-hmm. King holiday is coming. So those six weeks are busy, mm-hmm. but my story matters in June. Uh-huh. My story mm-hmm. matters in November. Mm-hmm. My story matters mm-hmm. at all points in time. Mm-hmm. 
in the life and the body of the church. Yes. And it's elevating my story. It's honoring it. And by elevating my story, that doesn't diminish your story. Mm-hmm. E- equity is not pie. <laughs> right. There's enough for yeah, everyone. That's right. There's not. There is not a zero sum right. game. That's right. Celebrating me, honoring me does not diminish you. Right. Yeah. It just, it just is. Yeah. Equity is not pie. Yeah, that's right. Uh, the story piece, I think, is important because one thing I, I was thinking as I was reading through this was it was just so striking to me at um, early on, there's this really explicit inability for these white Europeans and Americans to imagine that black bodies are human and, and fully like that we share entirely in our humanity mm-hmm. and in our faith and in our status in God's kingdom. Early on, it's so explicit, right? The some of the language, some of the laws, some of the ways that right, that um, the white people in power use that power to mm-hmm. not imagine the humanity of their black neighbors. Um, but then I was struck by, and I'm, I'm going to get the details fuzzy, but there's that political operative in the 80s who tells the story of working in politics and how you go from using the N-word. At water. Mm-hmm. Thank you. At yes. water. You go from using you know N-word, N-word, N-word to more subtle forms mm-hmm. of embedded racism, whether mm-hmm. it's law and order, or even like, you know, the way that we talk about the tax code or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that line in politics set beside some of the lineage of our most um, powerful or largest churches, mm-hmm. like the Southern Baptist Convention, who, you know, very recently finally kind of went on the record and owned some of the origin story there that the SBC was created as a splinter group to affirm the slaveholding rights of their white members, right? So uh, there's this like political lineage where you go from this really explicit, um, just hateful language to more covert ways of embedding this. And then you look at the church history and you see these really explicit movements in history that were so explicitly racist. And then you see these more subtle Mm. ways that it still shapes our structure inside Mm. and out. And it made me want to grow more vigilant and do a bit of an inventory on like my own way of thinking about faith or mm-hmm. my own way of thinking about our church and asking where inside this package am I naive or ignorant about where racist patterns or structures or behaviors or, or views have, have crept in, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so here's a hard question for you. Um, where, where do you wish we at Southland City Church were a little more eyes open um, or a little more educated or a little more aware of how some of these really heinous things that Tisby is talking about could be uh, played out in our community. And I'm going to keep talking for a little bit, give you time to just think about this question. Wait, I was like, uh, first you. of all, I'm, I was stuck on a hard question. Wait, so these have been solved. They've been easy so long? far. Oh, yeah. We're just now ramping up. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Okay. I mean, these are the so, real questions we have to these ask. These are the right? real. These are the hard. These are yeah. the honest. These yeah. are the difficult but necessary conversations. Yeah. And I think broadly is that we don't talk about them Mm. and i think that's the biggest challenge for us as south bend city church Mm -hmm. we don't want to have the conversation Mm. we want to be god love us Mm -hmm. midwest nice Mm -hmm. who's your hospitality let's not let's not ruffle any feathers Mm. we're all one in god's kingdom yeah but Mm -hmm. when you say that what does that mean Mm -hmm. to have an honest conversation and be comfortable in the discomfort mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and be 
okay that you don't know all the answers. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the real challenges is coming in, being open to having a conversation coming from a place of humility, Mm -hmm. knowing you don't have all the answers, Mm -hmm. but being willing to learn Mm -hmm. and to have the conversation and also to know that the time to ask me about convert me or any black member of our community about how I'm feeling mm-hmm. is not when the next big news story happens. Mm. Right um, back in September, mm-hmm. when um, the um, non-indictment of the officers in the Breonna Taylor yes. um, situation happened, just before that, I'd seen a meme, and it said, "Your black." friends are exhausted Mm -hmm. and the next day i had to do a workshop with um, some colleagues and i put in there your black students your black colleagues your black friends are emotionally exhausted Mm -hmm. so wanting to have the conversation with uh, me us when something is happening in the news i don't have time to process i can't process this with you right now Mm -hmm. i can't help you unpack your guilt Mm -hmm. your whatever about this right now Cause I'm tired. Cause I'm just trying to figure. I'm, cause I got laundry to fold. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have papers to grade, mm-hmm. and then I also have to recognize and think about all the people that I love, mm-hmm. and are they safe, and are they okay, mm-hmm. and how can I show up for them mm-hmm. and show up for myself? So when we, as a community, if we want to show up and have these conversations, check on me, not to say, teach me, help me. Mm-hmm. I am. I am not your black girl Google. (laughs) Use Beyonce's internet to learn something. Mm. So have a conversation. Mm -hmm. And if there's a question that you don't understand, maybe look it up first. And then have a conversation with me about like, Angela, I just looked at this. I'm not really sure. Do you have the bandwidth Mm -hmm. to help me unpack this? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if I say no, don't take it personally. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Shift the perspective. Mm Check on to see how I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Check to see how we're doing. Mm-hmm. Are we okay? And something as simple as sending a text, I know you must be hurting. I see you. I honor you. I'm praying for you. Mm-hmm. I'm here. I might respond. I might not respond. But just step, just making that, making that step, making that move. Because mm-hmm. otherwise, okay, you know what? I don't have time to process you too. Mm-hmm. I can't unpack your guilt during my grief. Mm-hmm. It strikes me at uh, what a, um, everything you just said, like that none of that is peculiar to the conversation around race, mm-hmm. but race is a really important application of, of things that, uh, what, I, what I mean by this is like, when your brother or sister is, is hurting, we, we see one another, mm-hmm. we honor one another. That's just a broad principle. But then as some of us, especially uh, white, white people in the church, I think are waking up, growing up, learning mm-hmm. some things. To, to apply these bedrock principles into what we're learning, it's mm-hmm. like, oh, I am discovering that every one of my black friends lives every day carrying yeah. layers of trauma and mm-hmm. enters white spaces, including our church is a predominantly white space. Growing in diversity, I like to call us. We're growing, we're growing in diversity. In diversity. Growing. But... Um, yeah, that like if, if I just take my baseline principles mm-hmm. about what it means to love people and then I 
apply them to what I'm learning around our own racial history and our current racial injustice and the experience of our black sisters and brothers every day, it's not hard to get to what you just described, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. It's, yeah. this is not complicated. This yeah. is not, uh, this is not rocket science. This is not auto mechanics. Mm -hmm. This is really simple. Mm -hmm. It's as I say, every time I place an order at Starbucks, it's not complicated. It's just detailed. <laughs> this is not a complicated process. Right. It's just detailed. Yeah. And it's about investing care mm -hmm. and honoring my story. Mm -hmm. If you say everyone at Icon, mm -hmm. what do you, put, put the rubber to the road. Mm -hmm. When push comes to shove, mm -hmm. what does that mean? Mm -hmm. How are you showing up for me? Mm -hmm. What does that look like? Mm -hmm. What does it mean? Mm -hmm. um, the, toward the end of the book, Tisby gets into you know very recent mm -hmm. uh, sort of fault lines in the church and conversations on race and he brings up like black lives matter for example and i was really struck by how he worked through that because he observed that you have blm as an organization mm -hmm. or and you and you have blm the the principle <laughs> black lives matter and how i think i highlighted that i really mm -hmm. want to find the line if i can um because i think uh this is one of those fault lines mm -hmm. in the world right now where we've actually made it harder than it needs to be. It, 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 this is not complicated, nor is it's just detailed. Like it shouldn't be hard to celebrate Black Lives Matter. Like the, 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 bed, the bedrock truth of that. But it's almost like we've... Um, yeah, oh. Do you have it? Maybe 177-ish. Okay. Yeah, this is, this is terrible. Uh, <laughs> this is terrible video and podcast for Angela and I to be leafing through here. But uh, it's quickly. good. It's good. You know, this is real and natural and honest. Yeah, there's just... Um, Practice he, is not performances. He made a point about um, uh, the, um, the distinction between BLM as an organization, mm -hmm. whatever your feelings are about the organization, and the capacity of the church to simply celebrate the truth of this, of this issue. And I guess what I was trying to say is I think some of us are guilty of letting letting the partisan fault lines mm -hmm. and Fox News versus CNN, uh, we're, it's like easy to blame some of that factional energy for our inability to stand up and say the truth. Okay. As if saying Black Lives Matter it makes us complicit in a worldview that maybe we don't hold in other ways because mm -hmm. there are people in our church who don't affirm everything that BLM affirms. But we have to be able to say that. What do you, what do you have here? I think this is in... Um, in Christian anthropology, saying that Black Lives Matter insists that all people, including including those who have darker skin, have been made in the image and likeness of God. That's it. Yeah, that has to be something that we can say and celebrate we, and own. And, yeah. What I say to people in these in the, when we have these conversations is there are certain conversations, there are certain things we that are up for debate. Mm -hmm. We can debate whether pineapple should be on pizza. We can debate yeah. which way toilet paper should go. Mm -hmm. We can debate. There are, there are two sides to how you squeeze the toothpaste. Mm -hmm. But my inherent worth mm -hmm. and value as an image bearer of God is not up mm -hmm. for debate, discussion, both sides, isms, or anything. Mm -hmm. Not now, not ever. Mm -hmm. And that's when we, when we say Black Lives Matter, mm -hmm. that is actually inherent and core to that is acknowledging mm -hmm. that we too are made in the image and likeness of God. Mm -hmm. That's really not that controversial. I mean, 
when I see the controversy, it's like, do you understand what you're saying? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Are you opposed to my life mattering? Mm -hmm. Well, no, but then what's the but? Yeah, yeah. Either I matter or I don't. Mm -hmm. And if I don't, let's talk about that. Yeah. yeah. But um, if I don't, I, yeah, okay. Because we can have that conversation too. Yeah. Because it gets out of the talking points and right. it gets out, out of the... Um, Faulkner said, sound and fury signifying nothing. So it's, you're just making noise mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or um, talking loud, saying nothing. Mm -hmm. And so let's get past that and get to the root of it. Yes. Have the honest conversation. Mm -hmm. um, Tisby ends the book with a sort of a nod toward what to do, right? Because mm -hmm. it's like, great, you can kind of <laughs> get all this awareness. Mm -hmm. um, and he's got another book, by the way, that came out recently uh, that will be a part of our church life at some point. Uh, that's more about how, where we go from here, what mm -hmm. do we do with this, especially in the church. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that conversation. But at the end, he does, he kind of begins to paint toward that. Mm -hmm. And he has that acronym ARC, A-R-C, Awareness, Relationship, and Commitment. Mm -hmm. And um, I thought I would, I would take a minute to just kind of remind our church community because some of this is work that we were setting the stage for. And then we lost ground because of COVID, like everything. Things just kind of paused for a moment. Um, so I'm, I'm going to like moment of pastor privilege just to kind of like put this back in front of our community about mm -hmm. where we are going. And it has to do with our partnership with the Telos group. And so Telos uh, is an organization that helps communities become the kind of communities that can bring some healing to intractable conflict. Uh, communities like churches, like mm -hmm. South and City Church. And how do we actually like activate our own calling mm -hmm. for peace? And by peace, we don't mean just a lack of conflict, but we mean justice in the world, putting things back together. And so um, before COVID hit, we were making plans with Telos that we as a church would be going on some pilgrimages with Telos. Uh, are you planning on going on any of these? Yes, because okay. we're going to go to the old, I was going to take you all by the family farm. Oh, well, in the, in the, in the American South yeah, trip. The yes. South, the American yes. South trip, yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, so Telos has these uh, three kind of primary venues that we're going to be going to. One is Israel-Palestine, uh, one is Northern Ireland, and then one is the American South. And the point of these trips is to go have a real narrative encounter, to mm -hmm. see the places and hear the stories and talk to people um, where both history and today, where violence and division and injustice are playing out. Mm -hmm. um, but then the, the real point of all that would be to come back to our own context and take some of these learnings and actually like play them out here. And so the other piece is, you know, as we work with Telos on these pilgrimages to Israel-Palestine, uh, Northern Ireland and the American South, mm -hmm. places like Selma, um, on top of that is to come back to South Bend and to create our own pilgrimage right here in South Bend because mm -hmm. South Bend has its own um, history and current reality around racial injustice, whether it's redlining or whether it's white flight or we could go on and on. And um, we want to have the same experience right here in South Bend mm -hmm. in our actual context that Tisby has given us in the kind of broad American church. And so I think um, those will help us with awareness like he talks mm -hmm. about and relationship like he talks about and commitment. Um, but I just want to like use this moment to remind our church like that effort is tied to this effort mm -hmm. and some of this work that we're doing. Um, anything you want to say about that before we? One thing I would like to point out is that um, what I'm really enjoying now as we're starting to really unpack things is to remember that these conversation, um, these experiences, particularly around the U.S. civil rights movement, mm -hmm. were because they're always in black and white pictures. Mm -hmm that they feel like they were centuries ago. Right. And so to be able to have these conversations and to see that the things that happened in the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, 
there are people who are still alive mm-hmm. who lived through that mm-hmm. to get the firsthand, first-person narrative of what that looked like mm-hmm. and to have the conversation and to, again, see how where we were, how far mm-hmm. we've come, but how far yet we have to go. Yes, yes. Um, well, on that note, I'd love to give you the final word um, for our church and for anybody else who's listening or watching, whether it's you know a direct reflection on something from this book or even if there's anything else you want to highlight for us today that you really hope we noticed, or if it's beyond the book and sort of just another word from your heart, uh, we'd love to hear from you as we wrap this up. Um, a couple of things, because there are several of them. One is the importance of a both-and approach. So yes, we want to look at relationship building, mm-hmm. having the conversations, but also look at the systemic roots of, of issues. So having a cup of coffee, having dinner, post-COVID when the world is open and we can all play mm-hmm. together again, having those conversations are significant and important, but also understanding the systemic things mm-hmm. that have existed and how the systems have been used mm-hmm. to create the challenges and fighting and working against those. Mm-hmm. But starting and ending, period, full stop, of recognizing that everyone is an icon, that we are all bearers of the image and likeness of God, and all means all. Equity is not pie. My gain is not your loss. Mm -hmm. This is about growing and growth and the flourishing of the world. And while we may not have all been heroes, Mm in some of the experiences and the stories that we've read about in Lent or in looking at the history of the church and the history of racism and how that has played out, it's not been pretty. It's been ugly, but in that ugliness, there have been flowers of hope. There have been springs of joy. And one of the last thing that um, Tisby talks about is celebrating the flourishing of the black church. Mm -hmm. The black church has been and has been, is and will continue to be a source of hope, a source of joy, a source of the first resistant strategies that blacks in this country, they developed them in the church. Even when we weren't allowed to have church, we would still have church. (laughs) And so honoring that heritage and incorporating that heritage and recognizing that faith is the cornerstone and the bedrock of who we are and that we're more alike than different, my friend. We're much more alike than different. Your story matters. My story matters. All of our stories matter. It's a good word. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Logan. <laughs> Absolutely. Anytime, Pastor Miller. Thanks, friends. Maybe we'll see you at Easter. Yay, Easter!